We're reading tonight from Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming out in such a dreadful evening. Uh, I promise I won't keep you too long tonight. But in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're looking again on parts of the law, the Ten Commandments, where Jesus elaborates, and he makes stark contrasts with what the religious leaders had been teaching up until that time. If you think right back, the, the reason the Ten Commandments had been given to the children of Israel in the first place was for them to know the standards of behavior and living that God expected from them in their love for Him and their love for their neighbors. Like us, they didn't live in isolation, but they lived in community. And so the commandments related both upwards towards God and outwards towards their neighbor. Of course, we know that they failed miserably time and again, letting God and themselves down. But I doubt that we do an awful lot better today. If everyone obeyed the commandments all the time, think of the difference it would make in our country, in our society. We wouldn't need to lock our doors. We wouldn't need to lock our cars or secure our possessions. There'd be no need for divorce courts or lie detectors. Safeguarding would be unnecessary as children and vulnerable adults would always be protected. Security at airports would be redundant. Police wouldn't have to wear stab vests. But the reality is we're living in a fallen world where many ignore or pick and choose which aspects or which parts of the commandments that they wish to follow. And we all live with the consequences of that. When Jesus began his public ministry, he spoke with power and authority. He wasn't afraid to challenge the religious leaders of his time, and he spoke against some of the rules and regulations that they had set up in their interpretations. And his hearers were puzzled as they tried to reconcile his opinion of the law with what they'd always been taught. Had the law been superseded and become irrelevant? They weren't quite sure. But nothing could have been further from the truth, because in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, literal translation is that Christ is not calling for a repeal of the law, but rather a drawing out, a filling up of the law. The Jewish religious leaders' interpretations and applications revealed that they acknowledged, or their acknowledgement of how difficult it was to keep those demands. So they lowered the standards with obtuse, roundabout ways of circumventing them, some of their restrictions. Their emphasis 
was entirely based on external performance. And so long as you ticked certain behavioral boxes, you were keeping their version of the law. And if we follow this line of thinking, then there's no problem with a disconnect between what's going on inside the inner person and the external behavior. Jesus, however, goes behind the external performance and highlights the principles that the law was based upon, spelling out that heart attitudes are just as important as the actions we actually take. His teaching to his followers is one of integrity, where character, that is the real you and I, someone has described character as who you are when the lights are out. The integrity between character and conduct, what others see, those will be in harmony. There'll be an integration between them is what Jesus was teaching. Thus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when dealing with murder, sexual immorality, retaliation, revenge, being people of our word, Jesus explained the standards and expected behavior were actually higher than what the people had heard previously. Tonight, we're looking at this being people of, your, of our word, truthfulness. The ninth commandment commands that we tell the truth to our neighbor. And to emphasize the importance of truthfulness, a system of taking oaths had developed during Old Testament times. And in fact, I lost count at a hundred the number of times taking an oath is mentioned in the Old Testament. They were considered to be extremely serious. In Numbers we read, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not bind his word, but must do everything he said. And an oath was a solemn affirmation or declaration that people made with an appeal to God to verify as truthfulness, calling down his judgment upon us if what we say is false. In modern English, I swear to God that what I'm saying is true, and may he strike me dead if what I'm saying is false. Two quotations. Benjamin Franklin said, honesty is the best policy. Many years before that, Plato had said, honesty is for the most part less profitable than dishonesty. Now you can choose. I think generally people, even non-Christians, aspire to the former, but often resort to the latter for expediency. This is borne out by a poll, <coughs> excuse me, that was taken in Britain in 2014. The average Briton tells 10 lies per week. 91% admit to telling a lie at some stage in their lives, and 25% will tell a lie if they think it won't hurt anyone. Only 5% of people actually, in replying to this survey, think that telling a lie is never acceptable. 13% admit to, telling, to lying when taking out an insurance policy. An interesting one. Women are most likely to tell about how much something costs and men about how much they drink. A number of years ago, I heard a report on the radio where there was a proposal from the insurance industry 
that people making uh, insurance claims on their travel insurance might be asked to take lie detectors. And the spokesman who was introducing this said the reason for it was because of the number of fraudulent claims that were, they were noticing. And he gave the example of a man who had claimed medical hospital expenses three years running for having his appendix out. I grew up in Ireland on an apple farm, and the apples were sold from the farm to dealers who, um, let's be kind, could be, could be a bit shady in their negotiation styles and the prices they paid. The neighboring farmer once said to my father, the only time you know that an apple dealer is telling the truth is when he calls another apple dealer a liar. So truthfulness is missing very often in our society in all sorts of ways. Yet, as we've read, Jesus said, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you've made. And this isn't a direct quote from the Old Testament, but an amalgamation of a number of commandments, all of which were designed to encourage people to be truthful in their speech, keeping oaths they had made or taken. As we've noticed previously, the person taking the oath is calling on God to witness his vow and punish him if he breaks it. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, took the attention away from keeping the oath to the form of words that had been used in making the oath. And they came up with some, I'm sure of what they felt, were very clever maneuvers of ways of getting out of keeping the oath. And Jesus spells those out further on in Matthew where he says, Matthew 23, Woe to you, blind guides! You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men! Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes a gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by any, everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by anyone who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. As you read through that, it may seem ludicrous to us that anyone could be taken in by such trivial distinctions as oaths sworn by the temple didn't have to be kept, but those sworn by the gold on the temple did. An example I was thinking of that, if I swear by St. Alfred's Church, I don't have to keep the oath, but if I swear by the spire, I do. Bizarre rationale. Again, if this is public knowledge, and everyone knew that by swearing by the temple alone, didn't restrict me to keeping the oath, then why would anyone believe what I was saying anyway? It seems strange logic, but it's as recorded in Scripture. And Jesus had no time for such hypocrisy. He called the Pharisees blind guides. Their teaching was so unhelpful, it was leading people astray. Another time he called them whited sepulchers. That is, the appearance on the outside was of being clean and pure, but the inside was full of death and represented death. Any oath made to the Lord, Jesus said, must be kept no matter what form of words we have used. 
More importantly, we shouldn't even have to use an oath at all, but simply our yes should be yes and our no, no. What we say, we mean. Being people of our word is the currency of followers of Jesus. I find this quotation from a German <clears throat> theologian, Helmut Thilicke, who observed, whenever I utter the formula, I swear by God, I'm really saying, now I'm going to mark off an area of absolute truth and put walls around it to cut off from the muddy fields or floods of untruthfulness and irresponsibility that ordinarily overruns my speech. In fact, I'm saying even more than this. I'm saying that people are expecting me to lie from the start. And just because they're counting on my lying, I have to bring up the big guns of oaths and words of honors. Basically, if I have to swear an oath to authenticate that my speech is truthful, it's really a pathetic admission of my general dishonesty and untrustworthiness. And James reiterates this principle in his epistle where he says, above all, my brothers and sisters, don't swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. So people should be able to have utter confidence that when a follower of Jesus says yes, that's what they mean. When they say no, that's what they mean also. Let's try and explore that a little bit further with some practical examples. Sometimes I think we use words cheaply. and We give empty promises to people. Maybe say, I'll give you a ring, but we don't. I'll send that email, but we forget. I'll have you around for a meal, but we don't. I'd send an invitation. I'll be available to help in a certain situation. Then we make other plans. I'll come and visit, but we don't. I'll pray for you, but then we forget all about the person's request. Or the check is in the post. Being people of our word means that we'll be known to be ultra-reliable. We'll only commit to things that we know we've the capacity to carry out unless exceptional circumstances get in the way. Our integrity, what we are inside, and how we behave is at stake. We won't be flippant with our words, but realize that they're very important and commit to doing what we say we will. Sometimes we can be what is termed economical with the truth. I think this happens very often in a work situation. And I know there are people here tonight who are under pressure in their workplace in trying to maintain this level of integrity. Are you expected to be economical with the truth, with customers, clients, managers, those who report to you? And when I was preparing for this talk, I was reminded of a job interview I had over 40 years ago. While it was with the state, with, in an estate agency, I'm making no general comments on the um, reputation of uh, that particular profession. But towards the end of the, the interview, one of the partners threw me totally by asking outright, are you good at lying? 
No hiding behind the, or beating around the bush, simply, are you good at lying? I can't remember my exact answer. I think I was totally flummoxed. I think to my shame, I was a bit woolly in my response. I didn't get the job anyway, but, so it didn't help. But for some people, their employment could be at stake by maintaining integrity and be, being absolutely people of their word. Yet it's what ex what's expected so often. Why is there a website called Trusted Traders? Does that mean that you can't trust any others who aren't on that website? People want to be able to trust others, even though they may not live up to the same high standards themselves. It's worth just taking a quick uh, note that though we've been concentrating on honesty in speech, bearing false witness can be written as well as verbal. <clears throat> what about filling in insurance claims, as we saw earlier, so many people are not truthful in those. Writing a report, sending a text or email, completing a tax return. Is it factually truthful? Another area to look at is exaggeration, and this one's a bit more difficult to pin down because some people just see things much more positively than others. We all know the glass half full or the glass half empty syndrome. But do we put a spin on events or circumstances possibly to show ourselves or our organization in a better light? When we examine it more closely, the report we've given is actually bordering on falsehood. Fake news is not restricted to politicians. Christians can be guilty as well. A number of years ago, a Christian institute that I know of, had to make a major readjustment to their program due to following, falling numbers. The press release they sent out stated that the changes they were announcing had been part of their strategy all along. On reading it, a colleague of mine at the time said, why don't they just tell the truth? There are ways of presenting bad news in a more positive light, but it should never be part of a Christian's vocabulary to so massage the facts that the listener is left with a false impression. Dishonesty in speech can be directed towards God. Has there ever been a time of difficulty in your life when you prayed, made a commitment to God that if he would get you out of the fix you were in, restore you to full health and strength, get, your, get you a new job, fix your financial peril? that you would do something for him. When the difficulty had passed, that promise, that commitment was quickly forgotten. Are we tempted to give the answer which we know people want to hear? This is especially prevalent in some other cultures, but we can be guilty as well. We need to mean what we say, though of course honesty needs to be balanced by speaking with grace. Do you like that dress on me? Did you enjoy the meal? Brooke Shields, the actress, said, honesty is the quality I value most in a friend, but bl not bluntness, but honesty with compassion. I know in the heat of the moment it can be very difficult to find the right answer and remain truthful, but that should be our goal. 
Two other areas just to consider very briefly. Down the centuries, some Christians felt that this was a prohibition on swearing in courts of law or for an affidavit. The Quakers and the Anabaptists, and in fact, I think many Quakers will still not swear an oath. Throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous examples, of, as I've already mentioned, of God taking an oath. In Matthew 26, when asked under oath by the high priest, Jesus answered his question. We read that Paul took an oath, as did the angel, as recorded in Revelation 10. And I think and the majority of the commentators that I've read come to the conclusion that Jesus was emphasizing that being people of our word means that we don't need to resort to oaths or swearing on the Bible to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But he's not prohibiting us from doing so if that's the custom of an external authority. Then what about swearing by taking the Lord's name in vain? This is not exactly the same as swearing an oath, but worth considering briefly. The name of the Lord is sacred, as it signifies his character and holiness, and therefore should be used with reverence. And it grieves me when I hear people use the name of God or Jesus flippantly, with no acknowledgement of his holiness or their attempt to align their lives to honor God. And Christians should only use the names of God and Jesus with reverence, awe, and worship, remembering who God is and what he has done for us. So as we said at the beginning, the sermon contained teaching to show that Jesus didn't wish to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He went on to say that our righteousness should be greater than that of the Pharisees. And that actually means a deeper righteousness because it's coming from the heart. There's integrity between our character and our conduct. By such a life, we can surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I think most of us would claim we are truthful people, but maybe as I've gone through and talked, something has sparked in your mind of an incident in your own life. And so, just for a few minutes, what I would like us to do is quietly reflect on these questions before the Lord. Just spend some time going through them and asking God, has there been any situation where you or I have not been absolutely truthful? Confess it, repent, and God will forgive. So just a few minutes to think through and reflect on these questions. <laughs>